Hello, I'm Dale Gentry, and welcome to the Disciple Science Podcast. I'm an ecologist and a professor of biology and a Christian. I find great joy and harmony in my life exploring creation, studying birds, and in following Jesus. I help start Disciple Science to produce short videos and other resources to show how integrating science and Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. I'm glad you're here to join me and occasional guests as we explore the intersection of science and Christian faith. Now, let's get on with the podcast. This week, I was fortunate to speak with Dr. Elaine Howard Eklund about her recent book, Why Science and Faith Need Each Other, Eight Shared Values That Move Us Beyond Fear. Elaine is Chair in Social Sciences, Professor of Sociology, and Director of the Religion and Public Life Program at Rice University in Texas. She's done extensive research on the perceptions among scientists of religion and the perceptions among religious people of science. She's brought her years of research and her own life and faith into this book where she presents a new approach emphasizing the shared values of science and faith. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Elaine Howard Eklund. All right, I'm here with uh, Elaine Howard Eklund. Thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you on. Dale, it's great to be here. I'm really excited about the work you're doing. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to start uh, where you start your book. We're talking about um, the conflict that is, you know, perceived between science and Christian faith and and conflict in general is sometimes kind of a a symptom of something deeper, often fear. And I I think you really struck onto something there. What what do you think uh, the Christians fear about science and what do scientists fear about, about religion? Yeah, thanks for that question, Dale. Um, I should start back by saying for a long time, I didn't know that was the issue. I've actually been <laughs> studying um, truth in advertising. I've been studying these things about 15 years. I've yeah. um, interviewed you know, over a thousand scientists about um, what they think about issues of faith um, or lack of faith. And I've interviewed many um, people from many different religious traditions about what they think about science. And I would say up until maybe a year ago or so, I would have been like many of the theologians, philosophers, and historians who studied these things, kind of thinking that these are sets of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have more recently um, become very convinced that um, the science and faith interface is much more than sets of ideas that are um, in collaboration or conflict and really more about people groups and how they relate to each other, groups of people called scientists or (laughs) medical professionals and groups of people, um, in the case of this book, called Christians. And I realized that, um, you know, after just poring over these interviews and then kind of thinking about my own life too and my own journey as a Christian, that actually um, Christians are deeply afraid I sort of had an aha moment um, realizing that Christians are often deeply afraid of what scientists will teach their kids um, Mm -hmm. when they send them to college or even earlier than that, like what kids will learn in science classes. And then when it comes to um, scientists, they are fearful, um, particularly in the U.S., which is just such a heavily Christian nation Um, what they hear in the news does not lead them to believe in general that scientists are 
that Christians rather are pro-science and mm. they're fearful that um, the Christian vote will take away funding for science. Mm. Um, some of them have had very bad experiences with Christianity as children and have um, a kind of fear of an unthinking um, Christian faith um, that it will belittle their scientific work. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're onto something there. You know, I uh, I teach at a, a little private Christian liberal arts university, and I certainly perceive that within my students that there that there is apprehensions, certainly from the mm -hmm. side of the conservative yeah. Christians, that they're going to lose their their foothold on the authority of Scripture, or or just that science is taking away some of their foundational beliefs and. Um, so it, it seems that you then in this latest book, Why Science and Faith Need Each Other, you, you take a, a unique approach and spend most of the book talking about what science and faith have in common instead of their differences. Um, tell us a little bit about what you found when you emphasize commonalities instead of, instead of what makes them unique. Yeah, I, I think often, and again, um, I want to, I want to, proceed with humility here, I would say I did this in, in my work often. I would go out looking for conflict mm -hmm. and indeed find it. Yep. And um, I, I remember a scientist at one point, I don't think this story made it into the book, but a scientist at one point um, kind of challenged me. Scientists are like that. They're different than other, <laughs> kinds, of, other kinds of people you might interview. Um, they often feel free to say to the, the interviewer, myself in this case, Oh, gosh, I wouldn't ask the question that way. They kind of, um, you know, uh, take issue with my very question. And I remember the scientist saying, why don't you flip the question a little bit? You're, you're asking me to what extent I see any tension between faith and science and how I respond to the tensions that are in the world. Why don't you ask me um, what my faith gives to my science and what my science gives to my faith? And mm -hmm. really... Um, how there's so much area where they're really on common ground. And, he, and then he started talking about um, the way in which he learned to have humility in science through the kind of humility he was taught to have in his church background. This particular mm. scientist was raised in, in a church setting where he was encouraged to ask hard questions of the faith. Um, and he said that it was at church that he learned uh, that God is God and he is not. And he said that kind of deep sense of humility um, actually guided his science in really instructive ways. And I just got thinking, gosh, I've got to tell this story to other Christians that um, that's really the goal of this book. My other, I've written several books on the science and faith interface, but this is really the first book that I've written for a specifically Christian audience. Mm -hmm. And I almost felt morally compelled to do so after hearing that story from that scientist and, and many other stories like that, that to really kind of change the whole, um, how should we say, the kind of whole framing of the conversation right. um, to be more about examining these shared values and virtues that scientific and faith communities have rather than going straight for the juggler of conflict, which is what <laughs> they do. Well, I think that's really helpful, you know, because it, it, it starts this discussion about how do, how do we talk about this differently so that we're not perpetuating uh, the stereotype of conflict. And maybe we can come back to that later on about how, how do we talk about this differently. But let's, let's start where you just mentioned with um, humility as one of their shared uh, attributes. And I think that some people might not think of humility as 
the most definitive attribute of scientists or Christians. I think the people in, in the media are those that are, you know, putting their stamp down. I've got the, the truth and I am mm. not interested in hearing otherwise. And I think sometimes Christians do that and sometimes scientists do that. Uh, can you elaborate on, on how that's not actually the, the dominant approach that scientists or Christians should take? What, what role does humility play in, in, our, in our faith and in our pursuit of knowledge through science? You know, my first response to that question, Dale, is that um, one, each community thinks that about the other, thinks that the other lacks <laughs> yes. humility. So yes, there is this so um, sense uh, of scientists I interview. They're like, you know, those Christians are really know-it-alls. You know, they're um, not going to listen to what, I, I just hear this phrase over and over again, they're not listening to what the science says. Mm -hmm. um, and and there's certainly that doesn't come that kind of rhetoric when it comes from the mouths of scientists doesn't come off as as having a spirit of humility. Yeah. And yet science, um, good science, any scientist who's been in the business um, for, for many, many years or been in the research uh, doing scientific work will tell you that science is bathed in humility, that we are yeah. always question ourselves. We're always trying to figure out um, you know, if that was the right finding, um, is there someone else who has better insight? Is there an instrument that I could use that's better than the other one? Is there some way I didn't see this? There's always a sense of, I think, positive um, self-questioning and questioning of the scientific community so we can try to get it better next time. Yeah. And we see this so much um, with the COVID virus, don't we? That what we thought we knew about the science of COVID is just changing rapidly and that we have to walk with a kind of humility and use the best science that we can in the moment um, and do the best we can with that. And likewise in the Christian community, and to me as a Christian myself, I think um, that's saddest to me, I think because of what we know um, about who we are as human beings and that we're finite and we're limited. Um, certainly Christians often come off in the things that they say in the media um, as lacking humility as well. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, that's, that's even sadder, of course, because the very nature of our faith is, is one in which um, we have you know, need of a savior. We have need of redemption because of our limitations, um, which should bring about the very nature of the faith should cultivate humility. Yeah. And yet we're often known for, for lacking, lacking that kind of sense of humility. Yeah, that's great. I, you know, I, I, I feel like in both science and faith, there's, there's a maturity that comes with that humility. You know, I, I, I think about the faith of my youth versus what I have now. And I'm, I'm much less certain than I was when I was 18 or 20 years old. And I think that that's a comfort with that uncertainty is is part of a mature faith, you know, that I, you know, I'm, I'm okay kind of approaching certain passages of scripture saying, well, this is what I think, but I'm not sure. And in the same way, um, I approach science in the same, uh, with the same um, knowledge, you know, people talk about completing their PhDs and realizing, oh my, I just realized how much I, I don't know and how much more there is to learn. But I think, um, Again, when people are looking at this relationship with from a conflict framework, they, they weaponize that humility and that uncertainty. And, you know, I think 
um, the, the Christians try and point, not Christians necessarily, but people that are pushing back against science saying that uncertainty, as we see like in the climate change debate, the uncertainty that there is about the ability to predict the future climate means that we shouldn't take drastic action or the uncertainty around some of the fine details of evolution means we should just dismiss it altogether because there just isn't consensus on exactly how it happened. And um, boy, you know, taking a dose of humility, both in our science and faith would really go a long way towards, um, towards bringing peace. And that's part of why I love so much about this book is that you help us see those commonalities and, mm-hmm. and recognize that. So oh, thank you. now did your, did you um, come upon this approach because of your, you mentioned that that scientist that suggested you re- reframe your question. Did, did, does this idea come out of other interviews or was it something that you, that you came upon your, on your own? I would say really some of both. Um, this was not something I, I sought out doing a project about, you know, trying to understand um, the virtues and the values that are common to both science and Christian communities. Um, but really something that emerged organically over the 15 years of Mm. my research. So I found myself after I started to realize these things a year and a half or so ago when I started working on this book, um, then going back over all my research studies, I actually conducted another research study that was more um, devotedly about these topics and realized just how much these themes um, came up over and over again. I wanted to say an aside, if I might, Dale, about yeah, humility. Um, I think I just it just struck me as we were talking that I think um, if both Christians and scientists adopted more of a sense of humility around each other, it might actually increase um, the diversity in science. I know um, that scientists are very concerned that there are not more women in science, especially mm-hmm. in some fields of science. They're very concerned about underrepresented minorities. I mean, there are very few women in science and the number of black and Hispanic persons in science, especially at top research universities, is almost negligible. Yeah. yeah. And yet um, these are communities that are very overrepresented in um, Christian faith communities. And so meaning that um, Hispanics and Black Americans in particular, as well as women really of all racial groups, are, are quite likely to be Christians, at least in U.S. society. And so there is a way in which the science community, if it's sort of embodied um, more of a spirit of humility, um, might find ways to really collaborate with Christian mm-hmm. communities on something that's very important really to the future of our society I mean, we're seeing it so deeply now in the call for racial justice across across American society right now um, that, you know, people are being kept out of all kinds of institutions and just think the difference that it would make if um, some in the scientific community would collaborate um, humbly with some in the Christian community to say, increase the number of um, black Americans um, in science. Um, what an amazing um, situation that would be. And we just don't even think of going there. I mean, that's yes, not even, yeah. that's not even a discussion, but I wonder, um, this is what I'm thinking out of, you know, as you, you should do this on a podcast, like create new <laughs> ideas, like on the yeah, spot, right. <laughs> but I, I, but I'm wondering um, if in part it is, there's a, that lack of humility um, means that there's really a lack of imagination about how the two communities could collaborate. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I love that. And also just the, 
you know, the humility of acknowledging that different cultures might bring new insights into both debates around science and faith um, that, that, you know, my, my dominant white culture in, in Minnesota is, is not going to have a, a, a view of something that might open, open up um, and alleviate some of the conflict. And I think, yeah, I think that's such a, that's a, a great idea. We should continue to work on that. We hope you're enjoying the interview. We're going to take a short break to tell you about what is coming up from Disciple Science. We have a video coming out later this week to tell the story of how our understanding of scripture was influenced by the development of modern science and astronomy. This video is a great discussion starter as we consider if science should influence biblical interpretation. Now the visuals in this video are entirely the work of one of our talented artists, Brianna Lindgren. She suggested the use of a creative new storytelling approach and a little humor as we got started with this topic. Uh, She was originally one of my students in environmental science. That's where we first met. And we're so fortunate to have her talents and insights involved in this project. We are a nonprofit and we're based in St. Paul, Minnesota. We believe that integrating science with Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. We are fully crowdfunded, and we're committed to making everything available completely free, but we need your financial support to help make that happen. Now you can give at disciplescience.com, or if you can't support us financially, we appreciate your efforts to tell others about our work, uh, and like, and subscribe, and share our videos, and podcasts, and resources with others that are interested on the intersection of science and Christian faith. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the interview. Um, you know, I, you, you talk about also about um, curiosity, and I loved your approach on curiosity. I think most people think of curiosity as being central to science, but maybe not as much to faith. And at one point you talk about how um, curiosity in our pursuit of, of God might lead some to doubt. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, that, and that perhaps even... You know, our Sunday school teachers and parents might not encourage curiosity in um, developing Christians for that reason. Uh, and I thought you had a, a great um, solution. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll let you elaborate on that. But can you talk to us about how how curiosity could en- enhance and encourage our Christian faith and again, lead us into more uh, dialogue with with science and Christianity? Yeah, what's coming to mind is that when I was a kid, um, my family was part of a part of a church um, that actually had these rules in the back of the hymnal that you would read um, <laughs> before taking communion. Um, only those who are raised in certain traditions will get what I'm saying at all. And so, but some of you, some of your listeners will really get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so I say that I tell the story for them. And, and so I remember, um, thinking these were not actually rules even from the Bible. They were just things that the church really thought that you ought to do, that you shouldn't play games of chance, you know, any Mm. card games, you shouldn't Mm. um, ever drink alcohol, you shouldn't, and you would read these things and these were rules. But we have lots of codified um, rules that way. And there's there's nothing that, um, you know, we certainly should have um, kind of heuristics or um, things that we commit to as a part of our faith. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, it, it yeah. should be encouraged. But sometimes, um, and I remember feeling this way as a kid, that um, the Christian faith was so rule-laden that it almost fenced one in 
Um, mm. It wasn't seen as expansive at all. And it yep. certainly wasn't um, a faith that you could be curious about. Um, mm -hmm. And it wasn't me who said this, but um, I can't remember the name of the theologian right now who said um, the Christian faith um, is, is not a fragile faith. It's mm, not yeah. um, something that can't be asked questions of and respond um, to those questions. It's not that there are not answers. It's just that we do not know them yet. And so, so I, I, I think you know, that kind of um, spirit, many of the scientists that I interviewed who were deep Christians had this sense that um, one can ask and should ask um, hard questions of the faith, should in indeed be curious about the faith. And that word curiosity um, is, is not scary, I think, in the way that some other words are, that curiosity almost you think of a little kid kind of peeking around the corner um, trying to figure out um, what's going to happen next or what's yeah. around that corner. And it's, it's a kind of um, soft thing. It's not something that's um, dangerous necessarily. And so if we could have that uh, relaxed attitude towards curious exploration of the faith, um, and I put, I put the word, I think, in the book, um, safe in there, that yep. sort of safe, curious exploration of the faith, that we want kids especially to be thinking about science, to be exploring science, really being explored. They wouldn't call it science yet, say when they're four or five or six, sure. but to be exploring the natural world, finding out about it, be exploring the biological world, um, be curious about the world in the context of their faith community, rather than, as I did as a, as a child, um, feeling like the faith community was a place where curiosity Really, it's just a list of rules that curiosity should be damped down. Yeah. And I think that what parents are sometimes afraid of, and I'm a, I'm a mother and I, I feel this sometimes, is this sense that too much curiosity will lead to this incredible sense of doubt. Mm. And yeah. um, maybe we'll talk about that in a minute, but I don't even think we need to be afraid of doubt. But again, yeah, it, it yeah. comes from that underlying sense of fear um, that we need to control the curiosity of our children because we're, we're just so afraid that the faith is fragile or that um, we won't be able to handle those questions. Yep. It got me thinking also about imagination. This is something I've been uh, sort of learning about in my adult faith is the, the need for imagination in order mm. just to conceive of God. You know, I think God is described in so many different ways and encourages us to explore God with our imagination. I think that's something that makes some people a little bit nervous because they're afraid of where that our imagination might take us. But I feel like there's some overlap there with, with science, that innovation in science often comes from imagination or it can come from imagination. Do you see overlap there between imagination and curiosity? I do. Um, I didn't write about it in this book, but maybe for another book. I, I yeah. do think that some of the same problems we have with science in the Christian church, we also have with art. Um, oh, and there, yes. is, there is kind of a fear yeah. of what artistic exploration might bring. Um, and some, for some people, moral fears. Um, yeah. And so, uh, and again, that there's this sense that um, imagination unfettered is something we need to be deeply deeply afraid of and where if we cultivated it i think there's the the right um cultivation 
of mm-hmm. imagination and curiosity yep. that can happen in a very beautiful way um, within Christian communities. Agreed. Yeah. You know, Alistair McGrath has written so well, I think, on the role that imagination can play as we construct our sort of theology of nature. And, and I think that's a, that's a topic I'm deeply interested in is in the integration of science and faith is, you know, not redefining science, but allowing our faith to seek meaning from science, where science is just explaining things and Christianity can then put, put those things together. I also see you know, there's, there's tremendous overlap there between many of the things you talked about, awe and, and curiosity and humility. And um, it just seems like there's a, there's limitless opportunity there. Um, sorry, I'm just sort of I'm spinning off into control here as I'm imagining uh, what, what, how those potential overlaps can bring fruit in the future. And I, I wonder if we could explore one more of these before we go in a different direction. I, I also was really taken by your, your chapter on awe. And you mentioned how um, how the uh, Christians valued uh, applied sciences in, in your interviews and the data that you found that they really find great value in, in science that can be applied to benefit human society, but they don't see as much value in science just for science sake, just to understand mm-hmm. the way the world works that doesn't provide direct benefits for society. And, and you mentioned, and I really agreed with you, that that is... Um, an area in which I think Christians might uh, might expand their understanding of God through just understanding the way the systems that God put in place work. I, would you would you mind uh, elaborating on that? What role does awe play in both science and and Christian faith? Yeah, one of my um, favorite scientists is um, Jennifer Weissman, who talks about mm-hmm. she's uh, Hubble space telescope scientist and also head of the um, American Association for the Advancement of Science, Dialogue, Science, Ethics, and Religion. And Jennifer talks about um, really figuring out um, the the nature of God's world through living out in the country and seeing the open sky and seeing the stars in the sky and becoming sort of that starting her, her family, encouraging her um, to love the natural world and just invest in the natural world's beauty mm-hmm. and experience that sense of awe. Um, this is not necessarily science classes or science training. Yeah, this is right. just um, allowing a child to experience the stars. Yeah. And uh, some of us are not interested in yeah, that gets, right? that yeah. gets people interested. And, and sadly, I think we as Christians sometimes have bought, um, and I do this, we've bought too much, into a kind of utilitarianism that we see all around us and so sadly a utilitarianism of people right um that we're we're buying into in informal ways all around us sometimes you know using one another for for personal gain um but i think that that utilitarianism goes into our science as well um there's certainly nothing wrong with being a medical doctor but um, we find in our surveys that you know, parents would so much rather have their children go into medicine um, mm. than they would go into basic science. Um, even if we control in our in our research for things like uh, you know knowledge of both areas, right? We still find that it's incredibly um, difficult for Christians to see the value in basic research, just doing science for its own sake. Yeah. And I think that's so important um, that we as a church 
um, support uh, the beauty of the sciences for their for their own sake. That mm. you know, pastors and really see um, you know being a basic research scientist, being a particle physicist, being an astronomer, and I can think of so many. So many other, I have particularly good connections in the physics community because my husband's a particle physicist. Oh, <laughs> oh that's great. But that's why I, my, my examples are astronomy first. I'll throw ecology uh, because in there of that. Well. <laughs> Ecology, thank yeah. you. Um, it's, it's really uh, those sciences which I think can, you know, keep us are kind of these beautiful spiritual disciplines which bring mm -hmm. us more deeply closer to God. And I, I think that's incredibly important. Um, yeah, to realize yeah. and to have pastors especially realize that and affirm those professions as um, having having the potential to be wonderful calling. Yep. Yeah, that's great. And uh, even as we as our faith grows and expands and, you know, my own faith as I went into my science training expands, I think, a little bit beyond scripture and you start seeking God in you know, through God's creation, just the, the details can can draw you closer to God. And I think that's an area where, um, you know, related to our topic from that we just talked about, people are a little bit apprehensive about encouraging people to seek God outside of scripture. But I think uh, there's opportunity there. I think Christians are missing an opportunity to experience God by ignoring um, science as a spiritual discipline. And so I, I love how you, how you frame that. You know, you mentioned in the book, or you include in the book, a few of your own personal stories around, um, uh, you know, some of your struggles with your, with your health, and I'll let you, you, you tell those stories, and, and what, what they taught you about the intersection and the commonalities between science and faith as well. I was wondering if you might, wouldn't mind sharing a few of those stories. It's funny, I never, I have um, rheumatoid arthritis and I've actually had it since I was a child. So I developed the disease um, even before I was a teen. I developed, mm -hmm. I was first diagnosed when I was 12. Yeah. And I had not much thought about that as related to my work on science and faith. And it was funny, um, it, again, uh, just a friend I was talking to who in publishing um, once said, oh gosh, why don't you write about your own story? And I thought, oh, that's not something you want to do as an academic. You don't, you know, you want to really appear objective. And so I actually um, felt a bit afraid uh, about, you know, talking about my own story in the context of my social scientific work. So I put that out there for your listeners that yeah. I had a lot of fear and I still do now that the book has come to light. Um, there's, there's a piece of me that hopes, oh my gosh, I hope people don't really read it. <laughs> Which you should never say, please do not tell the publishers yeah. that. <laughs> so, I, you know, the rest assured, a wonderful Brazos Press has been amazing to work with. And yeah. rest assured, I'm doing all I can to market the book. But, but there is um, a piece of me that felt this kind of anxiety about it. Um, and yet, I think it's our own stories which help people understand um, how science and faith can really work together yep. in beautiful ways. I really do. I mean, it's the stories of the scientists I've heard. It's the stories of, you know, the pastors who used to believe one thing and changed their mind. And, you know, yeah. it's, and scientists too, who've changed their minds. It's their own stories that really um, give ideas legs, isn't it? And yeah. so I started thinking about um, in my own, in the course of my own illness, which is ongoing, um, who, what are all the ways in which science has touched my own life? What are all the ways, the struggles that I've had? 
and started to really journal about my own story of science and faith, which is a deeply personal um, and embodied story of having a chronic illness and the ways in which science and faith um, and the people, the people who are scientists and medical doctors and the mm -hmm. people of faith um, have really worked in my own life. And it's been a, a great experience. Um, I think when you think about how your own story maps on to um, the stories of others, which is essentially what social scientists do, is we collect people's stories in the aggregate and we yeah. analyze them and try to figure out the commonalities among them. Um, it's, it can be a very powerful experience. Yep. I'm, I'm sure I, I really did uh, get a lot out of that. I enjoyed reading it. And I, I, I felt, you know, I, as you're reading this, that it, it probably was difficult, but I, I'll just encourage you if I can. I, I think people will get a lot out of those stories and, um, and, and hearing how people journey on, on their own, you know, I think the stories can be so powerful. And so thanks for, thanks for thank sharing you. that. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't mind if we could go back in time a little bit, I'd love to touch on a few of your, your, your earlier books, you know, you, as we mentioned, you are a sociologist. And so you, you study um, people groups, I, I suppose, mm -hmm. in society. And within our society, we have this, this uh, dominant view that science and faith are, are uh, in, in conflict. And it, it seems to me in reading a few of your earlier books that you're basically just trying to say, is, is that a true statement? That are they, mm -hmm. are they authentically in conflict? Can, can you tell us a little bit about the, the nuance that you found in your, in your um, years of study of, of, of uh, scientists and of religious people and what you've learned about the, some of the details about the, the tension that we perceive in society? Um. Firstly, it's, it really is a tension in society. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Um, so here's, here's how I've been thinking about it. Um, in the course of the, the 15 years that I've been studying this stuff, so my first um, study of scientists' attitudes towards religion started in 2005. So it's been a full 15 years now. And that's hard to admit out loud. Yeah. <laughs> It sort of ages me a bit, but um, yeah, um, but so, so this sounds like I'm bragging, but I'm saying this to make a point deal. So I've, I've written about 2,500 pages about this kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I've, I've written a lot of academic articles with my team. I want to give credit to the Religion and Public Life program at Rice that's worked with me and um, my co-authors have been wonderful. And, and then in addition, I've now you know, written four books on these topics. And if you Google Elaine Howard Eklund and the words religion and science, yeah. um, some of your listeners will probably go and do that now and feel free. The phrase that you'll just see over and over again is Eklund finds that some scientists are religious. <laughs> so all of, all of my work you know, for 15 years right. and thousands of pages can be boiled down to one sentence. And I felt kind of miffed about that. Like I actually, you know, every now and then you get kind of self-focused and you Google yourself. I try not to do that too much, but, yeah. um, and I kind of got mad about that at first that this right. is over and over again, how my work and I, and I feel like the work is, is much more nuanced than that. There's really interesting yeah. things, but I think it does show just how hard it is for some in Christian communities, but also some in the broader public to really believe that there actually are scientists themselves who are persons of faith. And, and I, I wonder, I'd be interested to hear what you think. I think in part that's because the most public voices 
um, that, you know, we think of someone like Richard Dawkins, whose um, books were on the New York Times bestseller list for weeks and weeks. Um, those, those most public voices of atheist scientists, and I would say a particular kind of atheist scientist, which is not, who is not even representative of atheist scientists, right, yes. um, makes um, the people in the general public feel like there's a much larger group of people in the science community who embody um, Dawkins and others' beliefs than yep. really do. So if you write um, well, as Dawkins does, and the books are sold well and bought, then, um, then it makes people in the general public feel like there's just a huge movement behind. And it's not a movement, it's a collection of writers. Right, yep, yep, yep. And I, I think that's really important to point out. And so that's what the first sort of wave of my work was about, just pointing out that there are scientists who are religious. Yes, right, and that, that was so valuable, I think, just to highlight that the, the, the voices that are dominant in society and they get the most, you know, headlines are, are, are not the norm, actually. Not only are they not the only voices, they aren't, that's not the, the predominant view. And I, I enjoyed, you know, learning from your book, how many of the atheist scientists still even value religion, even though they don't practice it themselves, or they practice some form of religion, even though they don't believe. And I was really taken by uh, all of the, um, speaking of humility, it just gives uh, any a, a reader a sense of how how nuanced this whole debate is. That it's just not the black and white, uh, you know, Trump science trumps faith or faith trumps science. That mm -hmm. uh, you know that a five minute news story might want you to to to, to get out of that. Um, and so I think that your the data that you've provided to society are just so valuable and. And I guess summarizing that, uh, that, that there's a much more to this than just the sim simplicity of, of Richard Dawkins versus Ken Ham. And that's, that's, that's a right. tremendous value. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. Thank, yep. You. Thank you. So what, what, are, what are next directions for you as far as what, what's on the horizon on, and your interest on the intersection of science and faith? Um, I have two projects that, um, that I'm really interested in right now. I have a book um, coming out hopefully next year, if we can turn it in. The COVID times are really slowing us all down. I'm sure. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's, I'm so, so grateful. That's the, the, the greatest of my problems is that I have less time to write. Um, <laughs> so I, I count myself very blessed. I want to acknowledge that. Um, but I have a book coming out with David Johnson from University of Nevada, Reno. David worked with us at the Religion and Public Life program for a while as a postdoctoral fellow. Mm. And we're writing a book about atheism in science. So oh, um, called okay. Varieties of Atheism in Science. And I'm really excited about that book because I had such stereotypes of atheists um, when I started doing all these studies. I mean, I would have told you that there are lots of ways to be a religious scientist, um, as a sociologist of religion by training, but I probably would have told you 15 years ago when I started um, researching scientists that there's probably one way of being an atheist scientist it is, or <laughs> being an atheist by definition is that you don't believe in God, what else is there? Right. Um, and I've been so blown away by the depth and texture of atheist scientists, and that's been really interesting. And I think that's something that Christians need to know about as well. I think yes. we have a lot of stereotypes and that that really hampers our ability to relate to a broader sector of the science community. Yep, yep. And I think maybe just open up a little dialogue that, that some of the 
self-proclaimed atheists are actually very interested in talking about this issue. That's right. It, not That's just right. dismissing it and telling you why you're wrong, but they want to know wh wh what we believe and why we believe it and do so with great interest and humility. And I've um, yeah, made some, some wonderful colleagues and friends out of people that I have you know, maybe shared uh, scientific interests in, but very different religious beliefs and have had wonderful conversations with them. And that's a great opportunity to, to uh, gain a little humility and gain some insights into, into this. I, I look forward to that really, that's a great interest to me too. I look forward to that book. Yeah. Thank you. You can have I, you um, back on when, you, when that comes out. <laughs> oh, that would be great. You should have David too, who's just absolutely terrific. But yeah. um, thank you. That book's been really hard to write because I, I want to get it right. I think For it's sure. um, crit critiqued um, and I want to make sure atheist scientists can really see themselves in it um, yeah. in a way that speaks true to them. Yeah. Um, the other project that I'm just starting is about the human body hmm. and trying to understand um, really where faith and science relate over the terrain of our bodies. So thinking about things like human reproductive genetic technologies, fertility technologies, but also things like the science of aging, where we um, assume um, from a medical standpoint that aging is not good. And might we see that differently from a faith standpoint? Um, and sort of how do those things work out? Um, how, what kind of resources do, does faith provide and science provide and medicine provide? And so I'm going to be exploring um, beginning of life kinds of issues, but also aging um, and mental illness and um, death and dying and trying to figure out um, how science and faith relate across the terrain of the human body. Wow. So that's, that's a new project that's just in the beginning stages. There won't be a book for probably a couple of years on that one. Um, but excited for that as well. But that atheism book, hopefully if we can just turn it in <laughs> later next month, will will be will be out um, next year sometime. Wonderful. That's something for us to look forward to. Well, I, I want to um, uh, circle back to something we talked about earlier. Uh, and, it, you know, I, I think that what I, what I get from your books, among other things, is, is a sense of how diverse um, uh, both religious and scientific minds are on this topic. And I, I wonder if you have uh, unique insights about how, you know, how a, a parent who yeah. wants to talk to their kids about this topic or, or maybe a Sunday school teacher or, or even a science educator, how, how do we change um, our, our language so as not to perpetuate the, the, the belief that there is conflict here and help people understand the, uh, what you point out, the, the many vast similarities between science and faith and just find common ground? Oh, that's great. Um, so two things are, are immediately coming to mind. First, I think we need to be as parents open to questions mm -hmm. and just, just adopting an open posture, which yeah. is incredibly hard to do. It sounds yeah. like, a, as I say it out loud, it sounds like kind of a silly like yeah. parenting manual kind of thing, you know, not that parenting manuals are always silly, but um, <laughs> it, it sounds like, oh, first, open the questions. But, but I do think if there's a way that we can adopt a posture of openness um, in very practical ways, in body language, in um, just encouragement of children to ask hard questions that are appropriate to where they are, mm -hmm. um, 
a wise um, scientist who's also a parent of three kids said to me once, you know, and, and answer the questions that are really being asked, not some mm -hmm. other questions. Or, you know, so, so let's, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then secondly, um, and perhaps I think even harder is to reject a culture of individualism, which is seeped into so many of our church communities, which says that we personally, as the individual parent, need to have all of the answers. Yep. So um, one is that there are many different kinds of people in the community who have things to give to children. So even if I, as the parent, am not a scientist, um, there may be a way to, um, you know, team with a scientist who can really answer questions or um, can, can help me yep. uh, just get my own insights. And I, I think about um, churches are so deeply, deeply divided in terms of social class. Um, we, we don't talk about that very much, but it could be that, um, you know, a lot of scientific talent is really, and medical talent is kind of um, together in one church. And then there's another church where um, there are not very many people in those professions and in that kind of work. And wouldn't it be a gift if um, our churches um, gave to one another and thought of kind of science outreach. I've been thinking about that a lot yeah. so that we could share um, science talent um, across, across congregations. And I think I'm part of a, a ministry in Houston called the Summer Institute where um, we do outreach to kids in the, the lower um, socioeconomic status um, geographic areas in Houston and provide education over the summer, um, actually through um, a collection of churches and through a Christian school that provides its resources um, to kids that wouldn't have wow. and really, really share science with them all summer, yeah. as well as spiritual wellness and other kinds of things. And it's such a neat ministry because it really follows the kids through sixth, seventh and eighth grade and helps them even into high school and it's a wraparound program. And I think of things like that where you can share talent. That's not, that's a little bit um, beyond what you asked about parenting specifically, but well, I think uh, it is in the broader ethos of parenting yeah. and caring for youth um, in our midst and thinking of the youth that we're responsible for um, really being across church communities, not even just our own kids or the kids in our specific church, but really caring for Christian yeah. youth across church communities. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that we do need to look at this as a, as a church issue, not just a parent. And, and we like to at church often say, you know, that it's not the church's job to teach your kids about God. And the parents need to do that. But the parents shouldn't see this as solely their job. And uh, something I'm sometimes guilty of is wanting to guide my children into encounters with the right voices, you know, and wanting to shield them from the other voices. But it's probably good, at least in this dialogue, for them to hear you know, to stereotype, you know, it's okay for them to hear a young earth creationist perspective from Sunday school and then, a, a, you know, somebody who's an evolutionary creationist somewhere else and let them sort of be curious and ask their questions and encounter different perspectives and let them um, ask those appropriate questions, like you said, because I think I, I have a, um, my oldest daughter has just recently turned 10. She's sometimes asks questions that I'm like, I wish you would ask that question when you're 16, because then I'll know how to answer you. <laughs> but when you're 10, you know, when you're, when you're eight or 10, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I just, I'm so comfortable with adult learners that I, 
I'm not sure at what level to approach those things. And that's probably where I need to bring in somebody from a Sunday school class or a child educator to give some insight. So it's, I appreciate your suggestion to sort of let this be a, a little bit of a, a community concern. And I would say I didn't always think about it like that. Um, I think it's uh, our church has been part of the science um, for the church ministry that you, mm. you interviewed Greg Kutsona, which is how I know Greg firstly, yeah. um, who is, who directs that ministry. And it's been, I think there's, there's ministries out there like that that can do a lot in connecting churches to one another and kind of connecting science talent. Um, and another thing I've been thinking on and that the listeners should try on is the idea of openly stating to children that we don't have the answers. Um, yeah. <laughs> safe um, place. I mean, I often feel like I have to give a speech. Like, I hope I'm not like this as a professor. You know, sometimes I feel like my parenting is not very good because it's like, you have a question. I'm like, whoa, I've been waiting for that one. Let me download the speech, you know? And, so it's, and yes. it's really a, a dialogue, isn't it? Right. Um, exactly. I have a 10-year-old yeah. as well. And it, it's the, it seems like they're more interested in back and forth for, and then, and it's iterative, right? Questions aren't asked once and then there's an answer and then they go away. Yeah. Um, it's born out of a relationship and there are, there are levels of questioning that just keep yep. going. And I, and I, our own faith as well. It seems like it's iterative that our understanding just comes right. to a different place at the next question at the next question. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of sparking curiosity and awe, you, you want to invite those questions to come back uh, for sure. So that they're not feeling like they're going to get the speech or the, the download when, when they do bring them to you. Well, this is certainly a topic you know, I think that our, our listeners are interested in, that I'm interested in, is just um, moving forward in society. Uh, what role do each of us play in helping to um, change the nature of this dialogue so that we're not um, getting stuck in a rut of conflict and, and moving to a faith position where Christians are using science not only to serve our own society, but to uh, deepen our understanding of God. And I just want to thank you so much for the significant role that you've played in um, helping us all understand how to better do that uh, with your, your wonderful books of the past and, and with this one as well. I think have been a valuable contribution. You're, so you're, we just really appreciate your taking the time to come on and share some of your insights with us. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. It's really been a pleasure. All right. Well, we look forward to having you again, uh, having you back again soon when your next book is, is out. <laughs> great, great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Disciple Science exists to show how integrating science and Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. We would love to hear from you with your questions and comments and topics you'd like to hear more about in the future. You can find our social media links at our website at disciplescience.com, or you can email us at disciplescience1 at gmail.com. I want to once again thank Caleb Davis for producing this episode and for composing our theme music. I'm Dale. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon. Mm-hmm.